welcome back to Made to Create. I am here with Lindsay Letterman, uh, art therapist, all the way out in New York City. So, Lindsay, I think you're my um, probably furthest interview so far. <laughs> oh, I'm, it's an honor. You're my, you're one of my furthest as well. I had a Texas interview last week, okay. so this is California's pretty far. I think that's yeah, I know. I know even leaving the country, it's it's where <laughs> that's the whole distance. I know. I think um, there's even been a few times I've like forgotten about our time difference and um, <laughs> created some scheduling conflicts for it. <laughs> so thank you so much for making time um, to be on the podcast. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. I um, love that you're doing this and I'm excited to get to chat with you today. Yeah, me too. Well, why don't you first, um, I don't know if I said it, but um, I know you are an art therapist um, with the Art Therapy Project in New York. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about the Art Therapy Project? And then um, maybe after that, just kind of share a little bit about how you personally got into this field of art therapy? Absolutely. So the Art Therapy Project, uh, we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're the only nonprofit in New York dedicated to providing free group art therapy to adults and youth affected by trauma. Uh, So we use the Mm -hmm. art-making process and with support from our art therapist, clients are learning how to explore feelings, increase self-awareness, and cope with life's challenges. And we run um, about 35 groups every week. Uh, that's our standard wow. model. You know, a lot has changed in COVID. It's a little different now, but that's our standard. Um, and we get to uh, help clients all over the New York City area cope with a variety of traumas that they've experienced. So we work with veterans, sexual assault survivors, survivors of torture, survivors of 9-11, youth in foster care, uh, youth in the juvenile justice system, homeless uh, people have experienced homelessness and domestic mm-hmm. violence. And um, I'm so proud of all the work that that we do with the Art Therapy Project. It's a wonderful organization. And we also have a private practice uh, mm-hmm. part uh, program uh, that we see clients individually, one-on-one art therapy uh, for a fee. So it's a different model, but it mm-hmm. helps us sustain all of our free programming. So it's a, it's a unique organization. Um, it's wonderful. And again, I'm just so proud of the work we get to do. Awesome. How long have you been with the Art Therapy Project? So I, was, uh, I started as their clinical director in June of 2017. Uh, but I've known about them uh, because they have an affiliation with the School of Visual Arts in New York City, which is where I got my graduate degree. And so I've always heard about them and knew about them. And so when the clinical director position opened up, I just jumped <laughs> so fast uh, because it's really unique as art therapists to be able to have a director role, uh, art therapists. Mm-hmm. You know, our therapists are in schools and hospitals and prisons and uh, community centers and private practice, uh, but we are the minority uh, in mental health. We're still a younger mm-hmm. field than social work and marriage and family therapists. So the um, the opportunities to kind of get to this level are, are limited. So it's mm-hmm. a, I'm blessed. I count my blessings all the time. Awesome. And then, so that, that was in 2017. So how did... Were you doing art therapy before that? Um, yeah. And how did you kind of get into, um, I, well, I mean, what kind of inspired you to get into art therapy and how did you kind of make that journey into that field? 
Yeah, I'll tell you um, the the little story of <laughs> Lindsay becoming an art therapist, which is totally, I did not expect this. I was um, a math and science just like nerd. I just love mm-hmm. that stuff. And I went into college wanting to be a doctor. I was fascinated by the, the body, the brain. Um, so I was pre-med at Brandeis University, which is in right outside Boston. And um, about halfway through freshman year, <laughs> it was really fast. I, I said, okay, um, this is not for me. Uh, and I actually, I made it a little, I made it too organic chemistry and dropped it. And really I didn't, <laughs> my whole life, I just wanted to be a doctor. So I didn't have like any other like thoughts about what I was mm-hmm. wanted to do or study. And so I literally just thought about what's kind of close to that. And psychology was, you yeah. know, something. So I took psychology as, you know, I said, okay, that'll be my major. And it was fascinating. And I, I loved it. Um, and, uh, I was not aware though, that graduating, having your bachelor's in psychology, not a lot of job opportunities. (laughs) And so I, I moved to New York city and, um, I was taking art classes because I was always a creative person and kid, Mm -hmm. not particularly talented, so it was not like a real, you know, passion of mine, but I was um, volunteering and doing kind of odd jobs in the city. Mm-hmm. So I took some art classes and I had a professor one day tell me my art was very emotional and had I ever heard of art therapy. And this is now mm-hmm. we're talking 2003. Had you, had you been familiar with that at all before? No, I was like, what is that? And <laughs> um, I went home and researched it because I had never heard of this before. And immediately I said, this is it. This is what it is. And what really was going on was I had, you know, through personal experiences of my own was reflecting on my childhood and what I had been through and said, Mm -hmm. if someone had offered this to me, that would have been amazing. If I didn't have to have the words that I didn't understand what my life was at that point, uh, that would be amazing. So this is what I want to do. And so I started researching it. And uh, for art therapy, you have to have a master's degree. That's kind of the first you know, step in becoming an art therapist. So um, there are three programs in New York, the New York City area. I applied to two of them. Um, I, I'll tell you, I'll be real honest with you, Jen. I got rejected the first Mm-hmm. time I applied I was t- I mean I was 21 and the director of um the 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 chair of the art therapy graduate school uh, at the school of visual arts said go do something like mm-hmm. really make sure this is what you want to do because I you know I volunteer work this and that. right right so I went and I um was able to shadow an art therapist that was working in the pediatric intensive care unit at a children's mm-hmm. hospital in New York City and uh I did that. It was totally life-changing. I saw just the kind of work that she was doing and how it was helping these kids and the families. And um, I reapplied and I was accepted finally. And so I started graduate school 2005. Uh, So for your master's in art therapy, it's a combination of um, um, psych classes and Mm -hmm. art classes as your prerequisite, as well as a portfolio. And then once you're in school, you're studying um, all kinds of things. So, um, you know, grounded in psychological theory, mm-hmm. um, methods and materials, uh, why certain art materials are indicated for certain types of work. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we learned, you know, DSM, really complete mm-hmm. uh, training in the classroom. And then we also have internships um, at the same time. And we do a master's thesis. So I graduated in 07 with my master's and then 
I was very lucky. My first internship was uh, with St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital in New York City, which is now Mount Sinai St. Luke's. And I reconnected with my supervisor there and there were openings in their outpatient psych clinic with uh, children and families. So that's where I started my career. That's where I got all my hours. So you get your master's for your, to become an art therapist. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's a national registration and board certification that is overseen by the art therapy credentials board. And you need, and I'm not going to tell you the exact numbers because I don't remember <laughs> them and they've changed over time. You need like a ton of direct client contact hours as well as supervision hours. So you're being supervised mm-hmm. by a licensed clinician already. And then you get that. And then New York, we got our licensure in 2007. We be, the license mm-hmm. in New York for art therapists became a thing. And I was licensed in 09. Same thing. You have to take an exam and get hours and be supervised. Um, Very so long I, road. It's a long <laughs> road. And it really deters people. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's there's a lot of issues with it. They have to pay money for these exams and, you know, all this kind of stuff, but it was very worth it um, to me. And you also come out not getting paid a, a whole lot as an art therapist. Um, <laughs> so but so it, it makes it, sense that the director was like, go make sure this is what you want sure. to do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and in school and throughout your being a clinician, you're, you're dealing with uh, things that other people are bringing to session and you have a you're a person and so being really sure that you're able to handle this by mm-hmm. making sure you've been in therapy making sure you're working through your issues just as to be a good clinician um, is part of the, that process so I really right. appreciated that kind of setup from the beginning knowing <laughs> like this is intense um, so yeah, so I, then I did four years in their outpatient clinic at St. Luke's Roosevelt. I did three years in their day treatment program Mm -hmm. at the same hospital, working with teenagers with substance abuse and mental health issues that weren't making it in the traditional school system. Uh, that was a fabulous, um, experience. And then I left New York, which I never, I was 12 years in the city. I never thought I'd leave New York, but, um, my boyfriend at the time got a job in Delaware, this place called Wilmington, mm-hmm. Delaware. I'd never heard of Wilmington, <laughs> Delaware, but I was like, let me see. I mean, eight years in a, in a big um, hospital system is very stressful. It's a, it's a, yeah. it's a lot of um, difficult work. So I was ready for a change and I liked him and we did end up getting married. So that worked out. But um, <laughs> yeah, I found a position at a children's hospital in Wilmington, Delaware. They had never had art therapy before. They had a music therapist. And I said, what an opportunity to start a program and really develop this. So I left. I left my beautiful apartment off of Central Park. (laughs) My parents were like, what are you doing? Um, And I did it. And it was the best thing. I worked in a children's hospital, which was, um, you know, medical art therapy, a little Mm -hmm. different than working uh, under the umbrella of the psychiatry field. So it was a new experience, but amazing. And I got to start a program and bring our therapy to um, a, a whole hospital that never had it before. So amazing. amazing. And then, like I said, I saw the opening at the art therapy project <laughs> and like my family's here, my husband's family, we knew we were going to come right. back to New York. So um, it was three years at that hospital. And then that's how I ended up back with the art therapy project and in New York and uh, the clinical director. And, uh, and now it's been three years and I've just enjoyed every moment. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And, and I love, I, I think almost every person that I've interviewed for this podcast, where they are right now is not where they thought they were going to be or where they started. 
Um, and so I love hearing the stories um, of just seeing, you know, the, the shift in, in whether it's, you know, people's professional lives or just in their, their interests. But then you can also always sort of see that, uh, that through line in those stories too, right? So your story kind of started out, I mean, even though it was a very different road that you were kind of headed down, it was still, um, you know, you were in this wanting to go down this caring profession um, and, and down this road of caring for other people. And so I can kind of see that um, it makes sense, right? That you ended up where you are. A hundred percent. Exactly. A hundred percent. And I know you had talked a little bit about um, like you, you were referencing different types of, I, I guess, like creative therapy modalities. Yeah. So um, can you talk a little bit about what, like in art therapy, what, what does that look like in a session? And then um, I don't know if you know much about like, you know, music therapy, dance therapy, but how, like as a, a client, like if I were interested in receiving services, like how, how would I determine, you know, what type of like mode of therapy is going to be best for me? It's the ultimate question. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let me tell you a little bit about how our therapy works. And so, um, I'll do one quick clarification is that mm-hmm. art therapy is always done with an art therapist. So mm-hmm. I know that there was a few years back, they came out with these like art therapy coloring books and like people mm-hmm. could say, Oh, I'm doing art therapy at home today. You're not, you're doing <laughs> art and that is therapeutic because right. listen, art therapists don't own art doing art. If you feel good doing it, that's amazing. But art therapy is done with a, an, an art therapist and sessions uh, vary. I mean, I've mm-hmm. had sessions where clients are not doing any artwork and we're talking and I've had sessions where there's no talking and we're fully immersed in an art process. Really what happens is there's, um, you know, it's a very humanistic approach, or at least the way mm-hmm. I practice, where I'm sitting with someone, whether it's an individual or a group of people, and I want to know what they're coming into the room with in terms of their history, but also like that day. And then we're kind of co-creating, um, you know, a process for the day that uh, very often involves art making. But like I said, there are times where I have clients who are like, I just can't do it to talk. And mm-hmm. our training allows for that. So we have that background to be able to just have a, a talk therapy session. Okay. Um, so then, yeah, so it's finding out what's going on that day, what they're coming into session with in terms of their goals and their needs. And our training helps us figure out, and then we kind of work together with our clients, you know, what will be helpful today? So is that going to be something that has colored pencils and it's a free draw? Is it going to be something that's directive based mm-hmm. where I'm going to give a very specific theme or question that we want to kind of uh, explore within an art process? Um, and so very similar when you have just a pure talk therapist, This mm-hmm. there's a dialogue there's a back and forth it happens within an art process now and so there is like more quiet moments in art Mm -hmm. therapy sessions um and then there's a processing of that art whatever it is made whether it's with clay or paint or building something sewing something then we're processing it so art's not about what that final product looks like and having Mm -hmm. it be beautiful it's about creating it and what happened along the way and what you're seeing so everything that was stored in the mind and the body is now coming out through this art process. What was that like for you? Um, 
I don't interpret artwork, but I ask specific questions to help Mm -hmm. clients develop their own insight around it. I noticed that you were using really dark black lines for this part and you switched to a very light pink on this part. And this part looks like it was um, this um, about a family member and here you've shifted to work. Do you have an association between that? Like why that shift Mm -hmm. happens? And so I'm in my head maybe trying to take educated uh, guesses around that shift in a process or a color or line quality or pressure and then asking those questions because what I see is a projection of my mind. Mm -hmm. That doesn't help anyone. So I want the client to be able to um, begin to like self-evaluate their own process. So that'll happen through questions um, and dialogue. And we call it like processing the artwork. Right. Um, And it's kind of using what they've made to, and and through the questions that you're asking to help them do their own um, self-reflection. Do you find that sometimes like um, clients have either used a certain color or a certain technique in their art or, or whatever. And as they are, you're asking these questions and they're reflecting that they didn't even realize that, oh my gosh, yeah, you know, why all of a sudden, you know, I was talking about this part of my past and um, things, you know, my, my coloring, my, my, the pressure points on my, on my marker, whatever, just got a lot more intense um, so that that self-reflection kind of comes out after the fact, not so much as they're doing the work. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's such a beautiful part of art therapy is that there can be this like third person in the room. So you have Mm -hmm. your therapist and the client, and then there's the art process and it it has its own uh, space in the room and then you can have a dialogue with it. Um, So it, it, it's um and it's tapping into different parts of the brain than than that you would get to i had mm-hmm. a client this was one of my favorite things that he i've heard about art therapy he said when he had been in a long time in treatment an older gentleman who had experienced mm-hmm. um sexual abuse as a child and he said being in art therapy is like taking the highway talk therapy was like taking the back roads um mm-hmm he felt like it just would had this ability to connect with these really emotional, um, this emotional content because he was defended verbally and sometimes didn't know how to talk about things or could in a way that, you know, kept things at a distance. So that was one of my favorite kind of client feedbacks about like why art therapy is kind of a little different. That's awesome. And are there other, um, like with some of the other therapeutic modalities, are there some things that are going to be better for a certain client based on, either the history or their personality or, or whatever it be. Definitely. Yeah. I always say that art therapy is for anyone. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people, Oh, it's for kids. No, it, it's for anyone. Yeah. But is it always going to be for everyone? No. Same mm-hmm. like, you know, when you meet a, a, you know, a traditional talk psychotherapist, you might, love this one therapist and meet someone else and and have a terrible experience with them. It's a really Mm -hmm. unique kind of decision, but um, certainly like, so when I've worked with music therapists, Mm -hmm. um, there's with music therapy, there's an ability to be passive. So a music therapist can uh, like, I'm thinking about in hospice and and kids in the hospital that were dying, you can play music to affect their, Mm -hmm. um, 
I, I'm sorry to all the music therapists out there. I'm not as well versed as I should be in your field, but there's a way that you can play music for them that can like um, stabilize their their numbers and medically, you know, there's things that music therapists can do when you have a patient who isn't actually able to do right. things. Um, I know that with dance and movement therapists, there's really wonderful work being done with all different populations, but um, the sexual assault survivors, when there is like a body involvement in your trauma, that being able to then use your body again in the treatment can be really important, um, but it can also be a lot. So it might not be the right fit. You have to kind right. of decide for yourself where it feels right. Um, and it's unique to each person. Um and there's ways to uh, adjust our, our working. So I, mm-hmm. I, in that children's hospital, worked with um, kids who were paralyzed from the neck down. And we, um, along with an occupational therapist, created mm-hmm. mouth painting tools so they could continue to do art and express how they were feeling when wow. they've been stuck. So they're really interesting ways that we work that I think um, kind of bring us into a wider circle of who we can help. Yeah. And I know um, you had mentioned that it kind of what you're doing with a client in terms of the type of art will just kind of vary based on the day. Um, How does that work? You you talked about how you guys will do, especially on the nonprofit side, like you'll do the group therapy sessions. Um, So how does that work in terms of um, are you able to tailor it so much to the individual when it's in that group setting or um, do you have to kind of take a different approach? Yeah, it's. I'm sorry. All these answers. We, t- you know, we, we're thinking in the moment. We're assessing in the moment. With the art therapy project, our groups are um, divided by background. So we do have like a group for veterans and a group for sexual gotcha. assault survivors. So they know that they have a shared experience. But mm-hmm. even in that, no two people's experiences are yeah. the same. So in group art therapy, there will be, there's kind of two different like main ways of working. One is directive based and one is open studio based. And I kind of, again, shift between (laughs) those two things depending on the day and the needs that are presenting themselves. But in a directive based um, group, I will have a check-in. So everyone in the room Mm -hmm. can at least there's a knowledge about where people are at that day, how their week has been, what's been coming up for them. Right. And then I'll either have a planned directive based on what we've been doing over the weeks or something will come up in that check-in that like I've seen themes that are going on. Mm -hmm. So this person might be talking about a um, um, difficulty with a boyfriend and this person might be talking about, um, you know, separating from parent expectations, but I'm seeing themes around relationships when they're Mm -hmm. talking about those. So I'm going to create a directive that might be around, you know, make yourself a symbol and make a symbol for each person in your life. And then, um, you know, cut them out and move them around the page and in ways that feel like our healthy connections versus unhealthy connections. Mm -hmm. That's a theme. The open studio is, you know, still probably starting with a check-in to see Mm -hmm. where people are at. And then everyone's kind of going to get their own supplies and are working on their process. And this has been one of the challenges of COVID (laughs) is not being in person. But when we were in the studio or in a space, then I could walk around the room. Hey, what, what's this, what's here going on today? What did you choose? What's coming up and make suggestions or add thoughts or just listen. Um, and I can tailor it a little bit by walking around the room. Um, and then again, 
either way, open studio or directive-based, everyone kind of comes together at the end to then talk and share. And the wonderful thing about art therapy is that if you're not interested in sharing, you can just know that you created and were in a space with other people today. There's always, um, it's a very permissive understanding judgment free zone. So some people like to, you know, hold up their artwork, pass it around even and talk about what was happening and other people will just they pass or hold it up and not say anything. And mm-hmm. so there's a, an ability to kind of be at your own speed. Yeah. Have you, um, have you found that there's been either when clients first come to you or even just talking about your work in general to people that there's a lot of, I guess, misinterpretations. I know you spoke a little bit about it already, but about what art therapy does. And, you know, you said that a lot of times people think that it's just for kids and, you, you know, you're like, no, actually anybody can, and it's, it's helpful to anybody. Um, but is there anything else that either as a client coming in, you know, you've seen people kind of not understanding what the process is or meant to do or what it's supposed to be like, or even just kind of a lay person, not really understanding what you do or, or why you do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, when, when we're in school, part of our training is also knowing that you're going to have to educate people along the way. Um, so some of the most common um, misconceptions or thoughts that people have shared, you know, certainly um, I'm not an artist, so I can't do this. Mm. And so that response is always, you know, what I share with people is you do not have to be an artist. Mm. Uh, you have to be open to the creative process. Uh, you have to be willing to try this. You have right. to be non-judgmental about it and know that it's not about learning some kind of art skill. Although along the way, people pick up you know, yeah. knowledge about how to use certain materials because as an art therapist, we have to be trained in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that it's about the creative process and not about what gets created and having mm-hmm. it be beautiful or nice looking or proper looking. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another one is is kind of like what I was saying before that like okay well every session it's like all this art making you know especially in um, individual treatment you know some sessions really might have some like paper out and you might need to scribble along the way but if there's a session our training involves that ability to do both talk therapy and art therapy art mm-hmm. therapy is is the component and the biggest tool we have um, but sessions that are purely verbal are certainly part of art therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other misconception that is just for kids. That's been a right. big one. Um, I think the other one is just the lack of understanding of like our levels of training and, and uh, you know, that mm-hmm. it's a real, it's a mental health profession. We abide by HIPAA laws, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. So I, I like to make sure that people are aware of that because, because it's younger and there are, you know, artists who run workshops mm-hmm. for mental health and well-being because art is healing in and of itself uh that just that art therapy is is a different component of that it's 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 when you need professional help right Um, right so just kind of delineating the the differences there is something i think is important that we share Mm -hmm. we share with clients and with people who are just curious about the field right yeah and i i would imagine that um especially going into like a group therapy session. I know you're talking about people, you know, some people being really comfortable holding up, you know, what they've done or, or kind of sharing that out to the larger group. And um, so I could, it's kind of what triggered that question because I've, I was thinking, oh, well, especially as someone who is um, feeling like, oh, I'm not very artistically inclined and, and 
you know, getting over that misconception seems like that would really help in the process, especially in a group setting, realizing that it's not about the, the point is not, you know, no one is, is grading you <laughs> or um, evaluating your work based on your, your skill level or, or anything like that. Like, exactly. that's not the point. It's, exactly. it really is just about the process and kind of like you had said earlier, what kind of comes out along the way. Yes. You got it. Yeah. And it's yeah. great because the group ends up, we, I have one client in one of my groups who every time it's just like, I know it's not, I'm not an artist. <laughs> and everyone, everyone says you are an artist because this the definition of what an artist is, is thrown out the window in art therapy. Yeah. All of my clients are artists because they're creating and that's, that's what it means to be an artist. So we redefine the word with them. Uh, it's yeah. important. It's important to do. Yeah. And that's even for this podcast is one kind of overarching theme that um, everybody is creative in in one way or another, um, because I think a lot of times we, I know, perceive creativity um, to be a certain type of a thing, right? Or or it's um, we evaluate whether or not we think we are that based on what we've seen other people produce or we've seen other people um, do, which is unfortunate because I think that you know, whether you are going to therapy for it or you're using it just as a self-care method, um, it's it's unfortunate to have that mentality around it because it, I think it, it would deter a lot of people even from either, you know, just doing it as a, as a hobby or, um, you know, actually seeking out professional art therapy um, to address some issues um, when, you know, that might be the best form of treatment for them. Exactly. We find that people who uh, are able to get to the place where they're seeking out art therapy Mm -hmm. have either done a lot of uh, traditional talk therapy and have found that the kind of patterns, the negative patterns in their life continue. And they're like, why isn't anything changing? Mm -hmm. And so they like will research on their own and come to us because they've read and seen just this, you know, what art therapy is doing. It's, it's connecting directly to your limbic system and, and all of those kind of emotional, you know, parts of your brain. Mm -hmm. So there's an ability to use the art in a way that can really make those big changes. Yeah. And I know you had said even in your past, like you, you were a, a very creative person, very creative child, but you know, you didn't feel like, Oh, you weren't, you know, particularly skilled at it. Is that something as a, a therapist or as an art therapist, like if you were seeking out that to go into that field, is that something that you kind of have to, I don't know, you know, find that you have a creative tendency or a creative skill or artistic ability to go into that field? Or is it more about just kind of like the clients um, learning how to use the tools and then learning how that kind of connects to the the psychology of it? Um, so like, do you need to be a creative person or, or an artistic person? No, no. And I think mm-hmm. in the field of art therapy, you'll see the full spectrum of like mm-hmm. artists yeah. who become art therapists all the way to where I find it kind of put myself closer to the other end around, you know, people who were maybe interested in psychology or, yeah. or more traditional um, fields that are also creative. But, you know, like I said, you have to have prerequisites in terms mm-hmm. of getting into graduate school. But I, my artwork in my portfolio didn't blow anyone away because of its, <laughs> it's, I mean, and its beauty. I think, you know, they were able to see I could use a variety of materials that I right. was expressing myself 
Um, and you really have to, you know, you have to understand, and this happens part of it in graduate school is you start to understand how to use all these materials. Number one, mm-hmm. I have to be able to be knowledgeable um, about using an array of materials. Otherwise some, someone's going to come in and I'm not going to know how to do it. Right. Although here's the caveat to that. I did not know how to crochet, which is like a smaller kind of Uh sect. And it was a beautiful part of the work I did with a group where one of the clients was teaching everyone how to crochet, including myself. So we can be the students too. Like you don't have to be like the all knowing therapist. Um, (laughs) So, but you have to have the basic knowledge and you have to feel comfortable um, leading, helping clients through it. But the more important part is understanding the continuum of materials, um, Mm. their intent and their, their purpose. So like I was kind of referring to before, like colored pencils or just regular Mm. pencils, very controlled, right. Very able to make very specific line qualities going all the way to the other end with, uh, watercolors. Mm. I have such little control about what comes out on the page when I put (laughs) that paintbrush in that, in that tin. So, my job as the art therapist is to help understand if I give this to a client who is um, already kind of very disoriented or, or, mm-hmm. or um, discombobulated and overwhelmed with feelings, and then I give them something that they have very little control over. Right. That's so we're kind of assessing those things in the moment with clients based on um, uh, you know clinical assessments to figure out what tools might be the most helpful. Or I had a client who was very depressed and would would not use any color. And in art therapy, mm. color is emotion. And so yeah. I would just put colored pencils on the table. I would not say you have to do it or anything, but I mm-hmm. put them out there and every I would pick them up and doodle. And little by little, they started to use color and it led to kind of a more in-depth processing of you know their emotional states mm. and what they've been through. So understanding the materials is probably the most important part of that. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I definitely was going to, ask you about that because even um yeah just it, it feels like there's so much of well I I, I want to call it intuition but it, it is more than intuition it sounds like but uh really having to um I don't know quickly assess kind of what is is needed for the client or the clients in that moment um so it's so interesting because I you know I, I mean there's a thousand different ways of using art in, in different types of art that you can use to process through anything. Yeah. Um, so even just figuring out, you know, well, what's going to be best in this moment is, is just really interesting to me. And knowing that you could be wrong. Like I've introduced yeah. something to a client and they're like, no way. And I'm like, all right, let's work together to figure this out. Then, you know, I had someone who would not. So, you know, I, they, I felt like that would be a really good thing mm-hmm. for them. They had attachment issues and I was like, oh, we could sew fabric together. And they were like, I don't want to, that's not what I want to do today. And they ended up doing a canvas, but then they wanted to add like a textured piece and they ended up poking holes in the mm-hmm. canvas and just sliding yarn through it. So it's never like you should do this and that's why. And then they do it. It's a very like fluid conversation. I love the, your, um, it's such, it's so interesting because you, it's something I deal with all the time. Okay. It's totally intuitive. I just kind of feel what it is, but I'm like, no, it's like an actual assessment and intervention pattern that goes continuously throughout a session. What's happening now. Okay. What do I need to do to help with that? What's happening now? Do I stand back and let them work it out? So you're constantly doing assessment and intervention. And then how, I mean, you, alluded to this a little bit, but, um, especially with, 
you know, it sounds like when you're in person, you know, you've got all the supplies there and you've probably got a, a, a wider variety of, of things that you can choose from and kind of pull from in the moment if it's not working for a client. So um, I, I guess that's probably going to be part of the question of, about how things have shifted with the pandemic and and what is, um, well, what does that look like, A, for it to solve that problem <laughs> um, of, you know, needing all these supplies to do art therapy um, but then are there also any other kind of changes or adaptations that you guys have had to make both in your profession, but, um, even specifically at the art therapy project? Yeah. Yeah. So in last March, I mean, everything shut down in New York mm-hmm. and we thought, you know, okay, a couple of weeks and we'll figure it out. We'll go back. We put up our posters about hand washing, <laughs> but yeah, so it lasted. And then, uh, within about three weeks, we knew we had to, um, you know, we work with a lot of high risk and, and uh, clients we knew we needed support. So we developed, you know, what telehealth for art therapy. And we, you know, teleart therapy as so many art therapists and other therapists have had to do during this time who never practiced telehealth. Mm-hmm. Um, we developed a program for them. We started with about five groups, um, support groups just because we had to reconfigure things. Some, some of the clients were totally not interested in doing anything online. And so, uh, and now, now we are doing about 16 teleart therapy groups. And uh, you said those are like 35 or so. We used to 35 um, groups. Now we do 16 teleart groups. Uh, They range from, you know, five to 12 people in each group. Um, Any given year in the past, we usually serve over a thousand clients. Um, Mm -hmm. It's less now because, and this is one of the difficulties of not being in person, because I think we have a a handful of clients that number one, don't have safe space in their home Mm -hmm. to be able to engage in this kind of um, treatment. Uh, They don't have the technology or they're just not comfortable with it. Um, And so the the challenge, of, we have a beautiful studio in the Flatiron District in the city. It is filled with art supplies. So yeah, so that facet of the work gets taken away. So what happens? So we were able to ship supplies to clients, which is mm-hmm. really amazing. And the art therapy project is incredible for finding the budget to do that. Uh, and our supporters made that happen. Um but yeah, but it's never going to be every supply that like you have in our studio. Right. And so the work is different. We've really been, uh, you know, as clinicians, we come together in group supervision and we're, during our mm-hmm. continuing education programming. And we're really, the conversation is about like what has shifted and how do we see that, but how do we continue to support the clients? And I think what it comes down to is the bottom line is this is the doing the, it's like being a good enough parent. You're doing the best right. you can. And with pencil and paper alone, I've had important and amazing sessions. Uh, do I think there's probably pieces missing and a depth that maybe we're not getting to mm-hmm. because of the difficulty of doing work online? Absolutely. Yeah. Do I think it also really works for some people because we have clients who get very, very, you know, have, uh, you know, um, uh, flashbacks and and severe anxiety getting onto the subway and traveling to us. So. Yeah the fact that they can make every session every week as opposed to missing them because of, of difficulty getting there. Does that have a different impact? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's like, there's pros and cons. I think there's definitely times where I'm frustrated uh, with the situation. Um, but the feedback from our clients has been, this is better than nothing. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's incredible that we have this support. Some of our clients don't see or go out the whole rest of the week. Right. Uh, so they're like, this is amazing. This is a place where I can still come to yeah. and get the support and have my creative time. And uh, so we're making it work until we're, we're waiting. We're going to probably never go back to exactly the same way of working mm-hmm. again. Uh, there might be some hybrid models that we are going to start working with. To tr- some people really want to be in the studio, come on in when it's safe and maybe have some people on the computer who feel safe at home yeah. and want to do it that way. And so the world as we know it has changed on so many levels. So art therapy mm-hmm. is no exception. Yeah. And I mean, we've even found that because um, I, mean, I, I work in education and we've seen you know, there's been some beautiful silver linings um, in terms of even how students are being educated. Some of them, um, and we work with students who are are not in a traditional school system, right? They're in our community schools or even our, in our court schools. And so um, for some of them, this kind of online model, you know, it, it works really well for them. Um, some of them weren't in the traditional classrooms anyway. Some of them, you know, could could only manage to do independent study. Um, but some of them, even, especially, you know, for the, the families, sometimes, um, you know, there's been some benefits and, um, like for some of our, our parents that, you know, their students are, are incarcerated and they are, um, you know, even, you know, there's, they don't incarcerate your child in the most convenient location for you sometimes. Right. So even being able to, to visit your, your kid, um, you know, there's, it's been, I don't know, helpful seems kind of a weird word, but there's been, um, you know, I think we've learned that having an, a virtual platform to be able to do some of the things yeah. that we used to only provide in person, um, you know, it's kind of opened our eyes to that. Um, and then, you know, like you said, for some people, you know, maybe someone has, I don't know, some social anxiety around like getting together, especially in a group therapy session. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would imagine that that's, that's not going to work for everybody. Right. Um, and so having, you know, maybe even having that online platform might take some of that pressure off. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think at the end of the day, however people can get the support they need, that's, that's what we right. want. It's uh, yeah. being able to ask for help and receive it is, is the most important thing. Yeah. Have you seen more people kind of reaching out for services because of, um, just the stress or the anxiety or, or, you know, what have you of like pandemic related, um, I don't know, issues or stressors or, or things like that. I mean, I know yeah. we've definitely seen stuff like that in the education field kind of coming out with our families. Yeah. And I think there's a, a proven, uh, you know, the calls and emails and outreach mm-hmm. that we're getting from individuals and organizations has really, this is really put mental health on the, on the forefront. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about silver linings, you know, the stigma around mental health is um, it's lessening because people are putting it into the conversation now in the media and in, with their friends and, no one's or less people are scared to say I'm seeing a therapist because I'm struggling. And that to me is like a beautiful part of this. Uh, It's unfortunate that uh, it ever had to have a stigma, but it does it for all kinds of reasons. Uh, So yeah, we're seeing it increase anxiety and depression, any kind of mental health struggles. I mean, being Mm -hmm. stuck in the home, I'm sure there's going to be also a slew of findings post 
you know, lockdown type of um, situations where we're going to see there's been a lot of bad stuff happening that we're going to need to address. I know overdoses are on the rise. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of issues. So the mental health community should be ready to help as many people as possible. And I think, um, I hope as many people as possible can find a way to ask for the help. Yeah. And we talk about that even like with our educators um, about how it's, I think, more than ever, we're finding that our, our teachers and our, our educators in general are um, more able to relate with the struggles of our students because there's a common experience that they're having. Um, whether, you know, you're a first grader or, you know, you're a, you're, you're a teacher in a classroom, um, no, this, you know, hasn't been, I think there, like you said, we've been talking about, there's been silver linings and I think we've learned a lot in the last year, but um, this has not been ideal for anybody. Right. And so, and I think on some level, everybody has struggled with this in one way, shape or form. Um, and so I could see that, you know, like we, what you were saying within the mental health field and just, um, you know, accepting that if it's not, seeking help for mental health, it's, it's, it's okay. And, you know, even in education, we're talking so much more about self-care and, um, (laughs) you know, whether you're self-caring as an educator or a student or a parent, um, it is much more at the front of the conversation because we're all realizing, oh, wow. Um, you know, it's about time that (laughs) we finally start having this conversation and making this a priority. Um, and it is unfortunate that, a worldwide pandemic for us to get there. But um, I would hope too that, you know, once, I know, once um, we kind of move past this, this phase of, of things that that is one piece of this experience that we don't lose yeah. is that recognition of, you know, one, we all have um, this, this connection because of the shared experience um, but also, you know, we've all struggled in the last year and, and that's okay. And that was yeah. normal mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and there's no reason to stigmatize it either. Exactly. Yeah. I'm hopeful the self-care thing will also mm-hmm. be huge teachers, frontline workers, everyone, moms. I mean, I can't name a group that couldn't benefit mm-hmm. from it. Um, so the art therapy project is doing a lot of that as well. Just co- going into organizations, yeah. supporting teams and staff. So I hope, uh, I hope we'll continue to, to help as many people as possible. And I'm glad uh, we were able to talk today about yeah. art therapy and I hope uh, anyone listening uh, gets to uh, have a good experience learning about this. Yeah. I guess one um, kind of last question that I had was um, before we kind of wrap up is um, thinking about, I mean, really in in your field or or really anyone in like a caring profession, um, you know, you talked about having to go even in your, the early stages of your education, having to make sure that um, part of that prerequisite was kind of dealing with your own stuff. But I would imagine that that, like you talked about having to be a part of supervision and things like that, um, that doesn't stop as a therapist, right? It's not like I've worked through all of my details. I'm good. Nothing, nothing can, nothing can move me. Um, But what, like, what have you found to be helpful as someone in the caring profession who's kind of taking on um, the load and the emotion and, and, and things of, of everybody else. Like what, um, how do you kind of on this topic of self-care really, how do you as a therapist kind of take care of yourself and, and yeah. what are some, I guess, tips for, for other people? 
Yeah, it's not one thing, right? So um, therapy, supervision Mm -hmm. uh, are like the most, most important, especially when it comes to the, you know, clinical stuff um, and the personal stuff that comes up through that and just life. Um, But, you know, really being, uh, having balance. So I like to be able to get outside, you know, being, Mm -hmm. you know, in fresh air and nature is really grounding for me. Um, Finding moments to do physical exercise, eating healthy, you know, just like a real balance and nothing, you know, everything in moderation. And um, when there was a time Mm -hmm. of getting out and reconnecting with friends and family, that was really important to find, um, uh, you know, groups of support, you know, other friends and family. So it's all like, I like to call like lots of puzzle pieces that come together. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not like, oh, I need to do this one thing. It's always, and some days it's like, I need more of this and less of that, or (laughs) I don't have time for this. So, but if I have time, if I have five minutes to doodle, uh, I'll do that. And like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to take out my oil paints and do a whole painting, but I'm still going to get creative in some way. So making little pockets for that uh has been helpful as well awesome well thank you so much again Lindsay. i love you know what you guys are doing with the art therapy project and um i knew that i wanted an art therapist on this podcast because um yeah i love not just the concept but even like the little that i've been exposed to it seeing like how beneficial it can be and like how powerful um you know, that work can be. And so I just appreciate you both as a professional, you know, you really dedicating your your life to supporting and helping other people, but also just taking the time to share that with, with us here at Made to Create. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm sure if you're anything like me, um, you probably really enjoyed this conversation. I know I really did. Um, and learning a lot more that I didn't even know about art therapy, but um, hopefully you uh, keep listening and uh, as always if you want to give a rating or a comment um, I love just kind of seeing everyone's thoughts on the podcast and um, again thanks for listening <laughs>